Very, very honored and excited to be here. So thanks for having me. You guys uh, treated me awesome so far. And uh, I just hope that you give me a little help tonight. Amen? I love amens. I love when people get excited. So let's get excited. I was a little mad at Ashley. I said, how dare you plan on having a baby the day I'm in Brooklyn? I was like, how dare you? But I was joking, obviously. But I love Paul dearly. I got to know him very well while in Long Island. He was one of my best friends there, so it was Nico. Um, Paul's an incredible, I know you guys know already, but he's just an incredible man of God. And I love him dearly. I'm going to be friends with him for the rest of my life. I know it. You know, when you meet somebody and you know that they're going to be in your life forever. Um, I know we're so busy in different ministries now. The same ministry, but different. But uh, he's just an awesome man of God. And I love him. And uh, you guys are truly blessed. He has a real pastor's heart. He really does care. He really does love the students, the staff. He cares. He legitimately loves you guys. And, and you're really blessed to have him. So um, are you guys ready for the word? Yeah. Amen? All right. So let's turn to Philippians 4. Philippians 4. And then we're going to go to Numbers a little later. But go to Philippians 4, verse 8 and 9. When you're there, say hallelujah. 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 You guys see it up there. So I'm reading from the New King James. It says... Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report. We're going to hear a lot about that. Good report. If there is any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. If we could just pray, Father, we just thank you for tonight. We thank you for this ministry of Teen Challenge. We thank you for uniting New York, God. And Father, I just pray today that you anoint this word that you've given me, God. I pray you sharpen it like an arrow and send it forth, piercing everyone's heart in this place. Give us hearts to receive, eyes to see, and ears to hear what the Spirit is saying in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. So if you can put that, keep it up there. He said to focus on just things that are just, whatever things are pure, lovely, good report, praiseworthy. Meditate on these things. Why is he saying that? Apostle Paul is saying this because what you focus on, what you, get, what you focus on, you give power to. So if you're constantly focusing on negative, if you're constantly focusing on things that are bad, things that are wrong, guess what you're giving power to in your life? Things that are wrong. So even when you receive bad news, you still focus on pure, lovely, good report, things that are praiseworthy. And then he says if you get God, you get peace. But some have God, but listen to the wrong report. So I want to focus on good report. Today, there's mostly bad news in the world, right? I have the, uh, the, the I'm not bragging, but I have the Apple iWatch. It was a gift. I, mean, I love it. And on, I love Fox News, and I get the, the, the app every five times, ten times a day. Fox News is ringing my 
hand right here, but it's always bad news. Always. Constantly bad news. Why? Because bad news sells. But I want to focus on how Christians should be of good report in a world full of bad news. Psalm 112, don't turn there, but Psalm 112, 6, 7, and 8, I would write down these scriptures, and you go to it in your, in your devotional time. It says, surely the righteous will never be shaken. They will be remembered forever. And then it says, they will have no fear of bad news. Their hearts are steadfast, trusting in the Lord. You can actually get to a place in your walk with Christ where you don't fear bad news. Am I 100% there yet? I don't think so, but I'm getting there. I've learned some stuff. You know, I'm five years, I don't know, I'm either saved 30 years or five. I can't, I don't know, I don't care. But I know I'm surrendered for five because there's a big difference. And I've gone through some stuff and it's taught me to focus on the good news. Amen? And I, it's taught me to trust in the Lord. My scripture I, in Long Island, when we give the testimonies, everyone ends the testimony with the scripture you stand on, right? You know, you're from Long Island. You know how it is. And my scripture is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Can I give you the New Jersey translation? Am I going to get kicked out of Brooklyn Teen Challenge for giving you the New Jersey translation today? So... I want to say, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. I can't say what I want to say. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Even when things don't make sense, even when you don't understand what the heck is going on around you when you're a student in the program and you're like, what the heck? Why are these rules here? You're not understanding. Just trust in him with all of your heart. It's called surrender. When you truly surrender, it's okay. It's okay if someone talks to you crazy, one of the staff talks to you crazy, or a student. It's okay because you're trusting the Lord, you're fully surrendered, and you're leaning not on your own understanding. See, I always thought I had it figured out, and then I pursued a relationship with Jesus Christ, and I realized I knew nothing. I knew nothing. So even now, five years surrender, I still know I don't know everything, and I trust in him even when things are crazy. You still got to trust in them. I didn't plan on saying all that, but I needed to say it. Amen? So I want to talk about today what to do when you receive bad news. Number one point. You ready? Point number one. The report you believe is much more important than the news you receive. I'm going to share a quick... I hope it's not too long because it i got to figure out how to do it quick because I don't have a lot of time. But when I, I was a drug addict for 10 years, um, I struggled with opiates. I did painkillers. I only tried heroin like three times, but I had a severe addiction with painkillers. I did benzos. I was addicted to Xanax. Um, I was addicted to cocaine. But really, the, the, pain, the, the opiate addiction had me. And towards the end of the addiction, I was a weird drug addict. I still kept my job. Um, I had money and stuff like that. I had a house, cars. And so, but towards the end, it started getting out of control. And I also got addicted to steroids because I was a fist pumper Italian dude in New Jersey. I'm embarrassed to say it, but I was. All right? So I got addicted to taking steroids, right? And I almost killed myself. So for four years, I was taking steroids, doing cocaine, not sleeping, working 15 hours a day, and doing crazy stuff. 
And very long story short, I started, I was in great shape. I used to run three miles after partying all night. I don't know how I did it. I used to party all night, run three miles on the beach in Mammoth Beach. And you know where that is. Mammoth Beach, I'd run and, and get up, go to the gym. But all of a sudden, I started, my, my health started declining really bad. I couldn't even walk like 20 feet without huffing and puffing really bad. I didn't know what the heck was going on. I knew something was seriously wrong. So one day, Saturday, I remember it was like 9.30 in the morning, I collapsed in my kitchen, and I was in the worst agony ever in my life, screaming in my apartment in Red Bank, New Jersey, screaming, waking up the neighbors. It was a mess. A friend was over. She called the, 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 the 911, and the ambulance came, and I went to the hospital, and I received the worst news ever you can possibly receive. They told me after six hours of trying to figure out what the heck was wrong with me that my, I was suffering from severe heart failure. The steroids and the cocaine and the everything else messed up my heart so bad that it went down to 8%. My left ventricle was deformed. It was three inches too large. The pain in my side was because my liver was failing because when your heart shuts down, everything shuts down. My liver was failing. The liver enzymes were like in 20,000. And they basically told my parents, they said that he's probably not gonna make it through the night. His heart is only at 8% efficiency. A normal heart's like 60%. And I remember, I remember being in that hospital bed, like how did I get here? Like what happened? How did I get this far? And you know, I grew up in the church, like Amy, I grew up in the church, my family are God, godly parents, they did everything right. But for some reason, the world, I was more enticed by the things of the world. And it's just, I, I loved the, the drugs, the partying, and the girls, and that's all I cared about. I didn't care about the things of God, and it led me to a crazy, crazy heart failure. I was dying. Thank God for a praying mom and dad. I made it through the night. I was in the hospital for two months. Um, they basically told me, they told my parents that he, the only way he can get fixed, the only way he can get healed is if he gets a heart transplant. Um, that's the only hope he has, but the problem is we don't give hearts to drug addicts. So they sent me home after two months to get comfortable, basically. I had no hope. I had nothing. And I remember the, I, had, I went home, I had a, a, a hole in my arm here. I had a bag of medicine that was like this big, 500 milliliter bag of medicine. It was pumping medicine into my arm 24 hours a day. It went in my arm, the catheter went in my arm, up my shoulder into my heart, and it would pump medicine into my heart 24 hours a day. On the other side, I had a big battery pack that was connected to a, a life vest that was a defibrillator. In case my heart stopped, it would shock it back into place. That's, that's the shape I was in. I was a mess. And my mother made a phone call. My mother made a phone call. And she said, it was so simple. But I remember, because it was so powerful, she's like, are you finally ready to give your life to the Lord? And when she said that, it, was, it just cut me deep. I was like, yes, yes, I'm ready, you know? And I came to a place that I was fully, fully surrendered. And I said, you know, I, I, from what I found is that people come to the Lord for two reasons, even either inspiration or desperation. And I was desperate. And it doesn't matter which one. If you're desperate, it's okay. I, 
I had to reach a place where I had no choice. I was facing death. I was going to die. And I said, you know what? Lord, I'm sorry it took this, but here I am. And he met me right there. I had uh, Thursday night, five years ago, I went to a church called Faith Fellowship in New Jersey. And I had an encounter with Jesus for the first time in my life. And it rocked me rocked me. I went to the altar. I mean, I was ugly. I was snotting and crying all over the place at the altar, and they were praying for me. And something happened that day. Did I get saved that day? I don't know. Definitely. At least, you know, I definitely gave my decision, made my decision that I want to give it all to the Lord. And my point is, see, my parents didn't, they told my parents that he's going to die. That was the bad news. The bad news was that he has heart failure and he's going to die. But my parents didn't make, didn't take the bad news and develop a bad report. See, it's possible to take bad news and turn it into a good report. What was the point? What was the point? The point number one. Come on. Come on. Work with me here. I'll go, I'll go over here. The report you believe is much more important than the news you receive. So... I was healed. So I find out two months later, they said they had, had tremendous news that I, I'm able to get a heart, right? They, they won't give hearts to drug addicts, but they found the loophole. They called me up and they said, we can get you a heart. So I was all excited. I'm like, but wait, can I just get one more test before I get a transplant? Can I get one more echocardiogram test? And so they're like, Anthony, you're wasting a week every, every second. You can die any moment. I said, I don't care. I want another test done. They were praying for me, and this time I gave my life to the Lord, and I had peace. Even though I had heart failure, I still had peace. Long story short, they, I had the test done. They never called me and said, oh, yeah, the test hasn't come back yet, but you got to come in for the consultation for the transplant. So I sat in with all the doctors. They tell you how, what's involved with a transplant. It's terrible. So we're sitting there. The director of cardiology comes in and pulls me outside and says, Anthony, we have to, t we, there's something going on. I thought like, okay, I'm not going to get the heart. I said, am I going to die, doc? And he goes, no, you're going to live. Your test results just came back and your heart went up to 58%. <laughs> Amen. So my parents refused to believe or receive the report. They got the bad news, but they refused to turn it into a bad report. You see, many Christians have a false interpretation of God. So what I want to just want to make one point real quick. Point number two, your story is already written based on what you believe about the nature in God of God and his disposition towards you. What I wanted to make a point is many Christians have a false interpretation of the character of God and how he operates. If you are ever not sure about what's going on in your life, if you're not sure, I came across a scripture. Actually, Todd White brought this to my knowledge. I love Todd. Who loves Todd White in this place? He, sh from listening to his videos like four years ago, he brought up a point. If you're ever unsure about what's going on in your life and who is the cause of it, go to John 10.10. John 10. You don't have to go there now, but John 10.10. 10. All you word people in here, you know what it says? The thief cometh to steal, kill, and destroy. But, but I have come to what? 
give you life and life more abundantly. So wherever there is death, loss, and destruction, it's the devil. See, the problem is if you think that God is bringing on sickness in your life or addiction in your life, you, you got a problem. Now, God will use these things. He uses these things to build character in you, to build trust in you, to build hope in you and perseverance in you. Your pain right now, it actually has a purpose. Your pain, actually, Ray Rosa just preached about it. Your pain has a purpose. But you cannot think, you're not going to be able to get free from some of the issues and sicknesses and addictions and bondages in your life if you think God is the author of it. So three years go by, right? I'm healed. I'm on fire for God. I go to Bible school. I get, I get set free from addiction for 12 years. I, go to, I end up going to teen. Lord, the Lord leads me to teen challenge. I start working. Everything's good. The devil gets pissed. He's mad. He tries to bring this thing back on me. I go, I preach one day on a Sunday, and, and uh, the next day I'm feeling sick. I go to the doctor, and they tell me that I had pneumonia and the flu. But your heart sounds weird. You should go to the doctor. I'm like, oh, God. So I go, so I go to the doctor, and the doctor tells me, Anthony, your ejection fraction is back down to 20. And I have question marks in my head. Like, what the heck? I got healed of this thing. Impossible healing. Impossible. And the... I'm like, why is this happening? And the Lord showed me some stuff. But see, back then, five years ago, I was resting on the faith of my parents. But God allows certain things to happen in your life to produce faith in you now. He allows certain things. He didn't bring that heart failure back on me, but he used it. The devil was trying to take me out. He tries to steal, kill, and destroy. But God used it to produce faith in me, like just like he did with Abraham. When God told Abraham to go sacrifice his only son, right? He was doing it to test, to test the faith of Abraham. He didn't really want him to sacrifice the son. He didn't really want me to go through the heart failure, but he uses these trials to build faith in you. Can we go to Numbers 13? Numbers 13. It's going to be up here. I'm reading from the NIV. This is the story when Moses, this is the story when Moses, God told Moses to send some investigative reporters to the promised land or spies, right? And it picks up from verse 17. It says, when Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, go up through Negev and onto the hill country. See, see the land. See what the land is like, whether the people who live there are strong, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good, bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How's the soil? Is it fertile? Is it poor? Are the trees in or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit. It was a season for first right. Now, one thing I want you to notice is that God never instructs Moses to find out if they're strong enough. He never told Mo He wants to survey the situation and look at the land, but he never told Moses to measure up himself to the enemy. So he wanted to go there, get a report of the land, right, and bring it back. Talk, you know, it was promised that this is the land flowing with milk and honey. Tell us what it's like. Tell us who are there. But he never tells us to, to, to match up ourselves to the enemy. See, God knows if you start sizing up yourself, you will always retreat in fear. So number three, point number three, 
And I'm almost through, kind of. The report you believe determines the, re the, the report you believe determines the future you will experience. So I just want to start from 21, root, um, verse 21. It says, so they went up and explored the land from the desert of Zin as far as Rehob toward Lebo, Hamath. They went up through Negev and came up to Hebron where Ahimon and Pokemon and, nah, and, <laughs> and the descendants of Anak. The descendants of Anak, by the way, were, they were giants. They were the giants lived. So Hebron had built seven years for Zon in Egypt. They, th th when they received the Valley of Eshkol, they cut off branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole between them along with some pomegranates and figs. Those are some big grapes. At the end of the 40, the place was called Valley Eshkol because of the cluster of grapes the Israelites cut off there. At the end of the 40 days, they returned from the exploring the land. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of the Paran, where they reported to them the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. So they basically said, here's the blessings. But the, here's the thing. Point number four, you will only experience your perspective of the blessings. You will only experience, see, you can be living in a land flowing with milk and honey, but your perspective can limit the blessings in your life. You could be in a ministry like Teen Challenge, and if your perspective is wrong, you can be in the most anointed ministry in the world like Teen Challenge and miss the blessing with it. If you have the wrong attitude or the wrong perspective, we don't experience our reality. We experience our perspective of reality. You can, be, you can be carrying grapes on your shoulders but be worried about the giants and you never make it to the promised land. In Numbers, in verse 27, it says, They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us and it does flow with milk and honey. Here's the fruit. Here's the proof. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are... So listen. He said, here's the grapes. Here's the fruit. Here's the blessing. But then the but comes. But the people. But the people are powerful, and the cities are fortified, very large. But we even saw the giants there, the descendants of Anak, the Amalites, live in Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Cellulites... <laughs> live in the hill country, and Canaanites live near the, the sea along the Jordan. So the promise is true, but the giants, they were basically saying. So when they went to the promised land and they spied it out, there was ten spies. Eight of them said that, eight of them said we can't, but two said we can. You guys know the story, you word people. Eight of them went into the, pro the two crazy ones said we can how many people know that God loves crazy people? If, if we could just get a little crazy for Jesus, then he can use us. The two crazy people said we can. So think about the spies. What I want to make a point is think about the spies that are in your mind. The spies that are in your mind. I love C Caleb. Caleb says, number in, in verse 30, Caleb goes, I, Caleb silenced the people. He was like, shut up, y'all. We should go up and take possession of the, of the land, for we can certainly do it. Shut up. We can do it. 
So the two crazy people, they saw the same thing the other spies did. But, see, they saw the bad news with the, the giants. They saw the bad news with all the people, the walls, the, the fortified city. But they didn't make a bad report out of the bad news. Some of you, some of us, are dying in the desert. So what happened was the eight spies that came back and made a bad report, they never went in the promised land. God, want, God doesn't want complaining babies. He's raising up an army in his day, and he doesn't want complaining babies who don't want to trust in him. He wants, he need, all he needs is two or three crazy people that are going to trust in him no matter what's going on around them. No matter if they're experiencing heart failure, no matter if their family's crazy, you might think that you're not good enough, your past is too crazy, you're unfit, you're an outcast, or unusable for God. But if you could just trust in him, put your trust in him, you have no idea what he can do in your life. Some of you are dying in the desert not because of your enemy, but because of the way you look at your enemy. You're looking at it wrong. Tell your neighbor, you're looking at it wrong. You're looking at it wrong. Worship team, you should come up because I got like five minutes. <laughs> so in verse 31 it says, but the men who have gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. So when did God instruct you to measure yourself to your enemy? Verse 32, it says, and they spread amongst the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said that the land explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. They're giants. And they spread amongst the Israelites a bad report. You see, fear is from the pit of hell. Fear can turn good news into a bad report. Did you ever meet those kind of people? You got someone that got a promotion, right? Oh, congratulations on your promotion. Oh, yeah, but I'm working too many hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're always murmuring and complaining. Those people are going to end up creating a bad report out of good news. See, what I want to, I'm almost through. The news is not the report. It's important you know that. The news is not the report. The news is what happened. The report is what you make of what happened. The news is not the issue. The report is the interpretation of the issue. I'm going to say that again. The news is not the report. The news is what happened. The report is what you make of what happened. The news is not the issue. The news is the issue. The report is the interpretation of the issue. I don't always have good news to have a good report. See, when I went to the doctor that, that last time, it was a year and a half ago, they gave me bad news. And I remember hanging out. Me and Paul would hang out every Tuesday night we would pick up his, his son, Dominic, and he was concerned about my mental status because he's like, dude, your heart's at like 20%, you know? And I said, Paul, I'm already healed. And I think he originally thought that maybe he's not gathering what's going on here. My Hindu doctor would say this to me. He says, Anthony, you need to start worrying a little bit more about what's going on. 
I don't know if you understand how serious it is. He actually called a psychiatrist to come in the, in the office during a surprise appointment, or I was in a regular appointment, a surprise appearance in my doctor's appointment. I had a psychiatrist come in because he thought that I was cuckoo. Because every time he would say, Anthony, we got to start thinking about transplant. I said, Doc, I'm already healed. And he's looking at me. He's like, Anthony, your heart is at 20%. You're not healed. I said, my healing was provided 2,000 years ago. Can we put up Isaiah 53.5? Can you put them up at the same time? Isaiah 53.5 and 1 Peter 2.24? No? All right. So, all right, anyways. See, I don't know if you know, these are, these are the same. This is Isaiah pointing to the cross. Isaiah is pointing to the cross, he says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his stripes we are healed. Now we're going to go to 1 Peter 2.24. 1 Peter, this is after the cross, right? So I want you to see the difference. It says, for himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness by whose stripes we were healed. See, our healing already happened. Many people believe that you've been forgiven. See, that's not the problem. Most people say, yes, you forgave my sins, right? You forgave my sins. But you, you're missing the gospel. The gospel is also the healing. See, yes, he shed his blood for our forgiveness of sins, but he also took stripes on his back for our healing. And it already happened. And the devil comes in with spies in your mind and he makes you think that you're sick and you got to accept that report. But I've come here today from Long Island to tell you that you don't have to accept the bad news anymore. When you're a child of God, there's hope. People are going to think you're crazy. People are thinking you think you're nuts. My old friends don't even want to talk to me or hang out with me anymore. I don't care. It doesn't matter. Because they're still addicted. They're still heading towards destruction. But I have my faith in Jesus Christ. He healed me. And I have faith in him. No matter what comes across your path, no matter what happens in your life, there's healing that's already happened. So God will use this thing. Sometimes the healing didn't manifest yet. See, a year and a half went by. The healing didn't manifest in my heart yet. But I still was declaring. I was proclaiming. I was confessing. I knew that, thank you, Lord, that you forgave me and you set me free. And I'm already healed because of what you did 2,000 years ago. And I thank you that you're building faith in me. And a matter of time, that healing is going to manifest in the natural. Because everything has to happen in the spiritual realm before it makes manifest in the natural. So I was patient. I was declaring. People were praying. And I was like, I have peace. I know that I'm healed. And thank you, Jesus. I am healed. And I know that I'm trusting in him. No matter when you don't, back to the Proverbs 3, 5, 6. It always comes back to that trusting in the Lord. So I just want to ask you to, come, to raise to your feet. And we're going to open up these altars. Pastor Will is going to lead in a song. And in the meantime, I want to ask you, is there something that's going on in your life that you maybe you got some bad news? It could be a, a sickness. It could be a healing you need. It could be what in your family. I, I just want to tell you that there's healing available. It already happened. So while we sing this song, I'm going to ask you to come to the altar and we're going to pray. Amen.